because I always think sometimes lacking something drives you. I always just wanted something else. I'm Serena Francis and welcome to Messy Round the Edges. In this podcast, we will discuss when life doesn't quite go to plan, the tough decisions you have to make when faced with various challenges that ultimately lead us to a more fulfilling life. I'm very excited to have on the show today, Emily Rawson. Emily is a DJ, businesswoman, entrepreneur, wife and mummy in no particular order. So Emily has played all over the world and is big in the music scene. She has worked with brands such as Nike, Soho House, Chanel, just to name a few, and played at festivals such as Wireless and Lovebox in front of over 10,000 people. In November 2015, Emily was awarded Mary Claire's Woman at the Top Award, celebrating 10 of the most inspirational and innovative game-changing women. So let's start with some of the things that Emily has, you know, just started, just um, decided to create in her life. So let's start with Super Duper Fly. So Super Duper Fly, most of you already know, is one of the UK's most influential club nights in hip hop and R&B in the UK and is always a road-blocking event. You know, one of those events that you go to and there's queues all down the road. Yeah, that <laughs> most probably be Emily yeah. and John's super-duper fly night. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of that, she has Rock the Bells, an all-female DJ collective bringing together the hottest female DJs, bands and creatives to celebrate women who want to make a mark in the music industry. And then her newest project, which is so exciting as well, is Fly Kids, a daytime hip hop and R&B party for London's flyest kids and grown up. Welcome, Emily Rawson. Thank you. That's quite an intro. As I was researching you, Emily, I was mm. like, damn. I know. I a lot. Of stuff. It's funny because I forget about all the stuff I've done because obviously I'm a mum now and you just can't yeah. fit as much stuff in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, I was I was pretty pretty good up until like two years ago. <laughs> I mean, I'm still good now, but yeah, it's uh, things change a bit, don't they? Um, you've achieved so much, I think, in uh, you, you know, in I would say a short short space of time, but actually, it's not a short space of time because it's something that you've been cultivating. I I can imagine for quite a while. So when, yeah. you, when you were growing up, what was yeah. it? You know, what did you want to do when you were a child? I think when I was really little, um, I actually wanted to be a vet. It was like nothing to do with music at all. Um, and that was obviously just because I loved animals. Um, but I think being a vet would be a bit difficult, a bit too much studying for me. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it wasn't until I was like maybe in my teens when I really sort of just fell in love with music that I knew that I wanted to work in the music industry somehow. I wasn't exactly sure how. I've got, you know, we've both got kids. So I've got Connor with me, my nine-year-old. He's in the front room. And when I was sitting down on the sofa and I was just making notes for the interview with you, mm. I said to him, Connor, give me some ideas. Like, because I wanted mm. ideas. I don't know why, but Connor's like really good for ideas that are out the box. So I was like, Yeah, because they're kids and they're bright and their brains are just so like out there. Like even Miles, he's two. But the things he comes up with in his imagination, it's incredible. I was like, wow, blows my mind. So I said to him, like, give me an idea for, you know, questions to ask Emily. 
Connor, do you want to come and ask Emily your question? Is it going to be something really complex? Hi, Connor. Hello. How are you? <laughs> so cute and handsome. But what question did you want to ask Emily? What made you fall in love with music? What made me fall in love with music? Ah, um, gosh, I think my mum was always playing music as a kid, like most people. It was just around the house, stuff like Ella Fitzgerald. That was one of the main nice. things she played, which I loved. Maybe I was a teenager and it was just the, just the scene, just going out and partying and just nice. listening to hip hop and going to like Icenes in with like fake ID when I was 14, my batty riders, right. like dancing on the tables and like sneaking in a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> those things and I think those things are what made me love DJing and made me love music and watching the DJs and just like being really into hip-hop and R&B like it was the golden era you know that was when like Lauren Hill Miss Education Lauren Hill came out and you know some of the best hip-hop albums of all time like the mid to late 90s um so I think it was that period yeah and then once I had friends with decks, I was just, oh, let me have a go, let me have a go. And yeah, I was just pretty good at it, really. And it kind of all just went from there, I guess. So, yeah, I guess it was the the first my mum being introduced to it and then just kind of listening to a real diversity of music growing up, playing instruments as well. And I played the trombone and then the, no, the euphonium, then the trombone, the piano a little bit as well. And then, yeah, I think it was just going out and partying. That's what really made me want to work in music. So you bought your first set of decks. How did that translate to DJing? Like, how did you do, when did you do your first gig? Like, how did that all happen? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, I bought really, like, I think my parents went halves on some decks for my 17th birthday. But they were, like, the cheapest possible decks you could get, like, belt drive, 100-pound decks. Like, really, really, really basic. Like you probably you could probably like buy them in Argos, that kind of vibe. Right. Um, and then my first gig was at Q Bar in Mayfair. So quite a good venue, actually, um, in a basement. And I, at that stage, I was playing Garage, I think, because I kind of started off with Garage because that's just what everyone was in, like, DJing oh, at the time. Oh, yes. yeah. I was 16, like old school Garage. The first gig, I was terrified. I was so nervous. I had about 20 of my friends there from college. And, like, I was mixing, and I remember, like, it being so difficult compared to like mixing at home. I remember doing this one mix that was just such a clanger and it was just, I was just remember feeling completely mortified and I could never do it again. But then after that, things just kind of progressively got better. And I like to think I don't do that anymore. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? Because like, obviously that's, I imagine one of a DJ's nightmares is to is to do a clanger and that feeling of oh my god, but oh, he's listening, yeah. watching. But then yeah, yeah. You get over it and like you're like oh it's happened and yeah yeah and yeah. Like it would probably no. occasionally happen to most DJs even now, right? but yeah, like you kind of you're confident now. So you're like oh well that just happened, and actually most people don't notice anyway. The only people that really exactly. notice are other DJs, <laughs> people that are really really into music. So yeah. Did you have a mentor when you were kind of coming up? somebody who would guide you or give you advice on on becoming a DJ or becoming um, a not a mentor as such uh, actually no that's not true I had um DJ Swing RIP um who's one of the best hip-hop DJs in my opinion well in this country's ever seen um I met him at Hanover Grand Fresh and Funky on a Wednesday night and I just, man, I was just watching him teach us like, this guy is a legend. And he was just so lovely. And yeah, so I used to speak to him and he would give me tips and talk to me about it. 
And I used to DJ Nikki as well, DJ Nikki Beatnik. Um, I used to go to her night at 57 German Street when I was like 18 and she was probably 25 maybe. I'm not sure how old she was, but she was the only other kind of female DJ I knew who was like really doing things. Um, so I used to kind of look up to her. She didn't know who I was in those days, but I definitely looked up to her and I still do now. Like she's achieved some amazing things. But no, there was no no mentor as such, really. Kind of, it leads me on to the next question um, mm. is who were the other female DJs on the scene when you were coming up? Was there anybody? There was a DJ called She Devil, who actually came to one of our brunches a couple of years ago, which was oh, mad. Wow. She's lovely. Who else was there? Caper, DJ Caper, um, who's like lives in New York now, sick DJ. I think she's like just us with Jazzy Jeff and stuff, but she's like more of a scratch DJ. She's absolutely amazing. She was coming up. She was 18. We used to go for like scratching lessons at DJ 279's house when he was on choice. Um, he was lovely to us. Um, God, who else was there? Oh, Josie Rebel. Um, that was pretty much it. There weren't many. And now there are like, obviously, you know, probably... 25% of DJs you see on lineups now are women, which is amazing. Amazing. You know? Even yeah. in the past, like, five years, it's gone up so much. Even when I started Rock the Bells in 2011, there were very, very few and far between. But I think now it's just become more accessible. And, you know, the more they see, the more that they, they think they're going to think, oh, I can do that, right? What do you think is the single most important trait that you have that's helped you become, you know, a successful businesswoman? Um, what's your God, what's this your is a really advice? interesting question because I always think sometimes lacking something drives you so yeah I don't have like a I grew up in like a single parent family um it's just me and my mum I don't have brothers and sisters my dad was kind of around but not very much um saw him like maybe twice a year till I was like 16 mm-hmm. um so yeah it's just kind of me and my mum and I feel like I always just w- wanted something else Mm-hmm. to feel secure, to feel happy. It's not that I wasn't happy. I was happy. I was never unhappy. I didn't, you know, have a bad upbringing or anything. I had a great upbringing. My mum always did, you know, we went on nice holidays. Like, we weren't poor. <laughs> you know, we were cool. Um, definitely something lacking within me. And maybe that is what drives me to be successful. It may, maybe um, fear to a degree as well. Yes. Of not, yes. Of not having... I don't know, like finan- financially, maybe, maybe financial to security, financially yeah. secure to a degree. I know that's probably not a very good thing to say about why you're driven, but I think a lot not of people will be driven yeah, by that degree. And also, you know, just wanting to do things that you love, right? Because, like, I love music and I love organizing events that people come to and say, Oh, I had a really, really great time. Like, this is the, this, I had like my kid, especially with fly kids, like, oh, this is like, the best the best day of my kid's life like if someone oh. says that to you it's just like wow yeah like you know there's um, a disabled kid um that came god it was so long ago now because obviously we haven't done it for over a year yeah and like the kid's just so happy and like I think he's um his mom or dad said it to like one of the DJs or my husband that like how happy the kid was and it's just like made his day and it's just like you know it's just Things yeah like it's just the best feeling yeah so to be able to to kind of create events and dj and people love it it's just it's a brilliant feeling for sure so fulfilling mm, it is yeah it's when you can actually do it <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh bring on the summer bring on the summer emily mm. tell me how have 
how has your life changed being a wife and a mummy now in terms of your drive what's important to you is that you know can you see do when you reflect and and you have some time on your own do you do mm. you ever think gosh like that was so important to me like five years mm. ago and now mm. it's not and now x is important. Yeah. well obviously you know when you have a, a child your priorities completely change so like I don't care about going out to industry events anymore <laughs> and like you know kind of the superficial I suppose yeah. I just don't care Absolutely. about as long as my husband and my family are healthy and happy um, and I think you kind of realize that in like lockdown one we had lovely weather in lockdown one it was great it was just like me and and my husband and my son in the garden every day and we were really happy and we had a really great time initially I was like oh god we need to do something so we're doing all these like virtual parties I was like I need to do something to like occupy my time otherwise I'm gonna like go a bit mad but yeah, then after maybe a month or so, I was like, oh, God, we're spending all our time doing this. Um, let's just chill. And we had a really nice time. Yeah. And then lockdown happened again. And this, this January lockdown has been grim. I'm not going to lie. It's this been grim. Been the toughest. It's been like anxiety, feeling crap. Like, yeah, just, ugh, it's been bad. But yeah, sorry. But going back to your question. Yeah, priorities have changed because you just want to spend more time with your family I suppose I suppose you're happiest when you're with your family but at the same time you know I'm even happier when we could do events we could do events and Ian and Miles can be there like when we can do our fly kid parties and Miles is having a great time and Ian's there taking photos and afterwards you can have a drink and a dance and like that's just that's amazing so I'm waiting for that to happen again I love that when I've come to your events Emily I've always loved the fact that you've been able to make sure family life with your hmm. business you know when I've been to super duper fly have you, you know, come to fly kid I can't remember I haven't been yet every oh, time I love went, it. every time I went to farm something happened <laughs> and then the pandemic happened. yeah um, you have to come when it resumes we yeah, are exactly we are coming. hopefully July as long as it doesn't okay. get delayed again Ugh. as long as it doesn't get delayed again then um, yeah. yeah July we'll, we'll be starting it again but um, yeah, I'd love the way that I would come to events and I'd see, you know, you and Ian dancing and, you know, as you said, like you yeah. work in the decks, Ian doing the photography. And then when I was lucky enough, because looking back on it now, I believe I was so lucky to be able to make it to a super duper fly Santorini event. Um, oh, man, Santorini, oh. the best. The best four days and uh, the best four days and nights of your life or your money back is what I've put in the uh, Instagram profile. I genuinely believe that. You're not <laughs> like, going to be giving anybody. To every year. You're not giving anybody no, their money literally. back. No. I hope you're coming in September. Do you reckon you can come? I, I fingers crossed. I hope I can come. Yeah, again. That'd be amazing. Because it was just. Yeah. If I close my eyes, it's like you were there. You were I there year did... before last, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I did two mm. not two or three nights and it was everything you know <laughs> yeah. it was it was so good and as I said you know you were there um with your husband because yeah, you came when Miles. Miles was tiny didn't you when he was yeah. like four months yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. he had big um what are they call those massive those air, air defenders yeah <laughs> four months oh bless him yeah this year he was dancing sorry last year September he was dancing to all the music he loves it he loves music so much so cute of course he you know would have grown up in such a musical household Mm -hmm. so let's talk about super duper fly um technically your first baby yeah 
Emily, did you envision that it would become this big when you and Sean first set out? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was working for this guy in the West End and we did a load of other nights and I was kind of, I didn't really want to do West End events anymore. So I like contacted Jazz Cafe. I was like, I really want to do an old school hip hop event. Um, they were like, cool, let's do it. So we did it. I think it was called Wild Style or something. It was more like 80s and 90s hip hop mm. actually. And then the manager fell out with my boss. And I was like, oh, sorry, we can't do it anymore, blah, 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 blah. Just mm. as just to say, I was doing all the work on this and only getting 30% of the money, right? She turned around and said, look, just do it. Just do it directly. Just do it without him. And I was like, oh, no, I can't really do that. He's a bit scary. Like, he'll probably, like, punch me or something. <laughs> like, literally, I was that scared of him. Um, hope he's, he doesn't hear this. That's basically what happened. So I turned around to Sean and I was like, Sean, do you want to front this this?" brand for me super duper fly like 90s hip-hop and r&b and sean was like yeah so that's kind of how it happened really and then obviously sean's kind of deals with all the ops and like running everything on the day-to-day and i'm more like the kind of like the creative person behind it so yeah that's how it happened and it was for literally from the first event it was just huge it just sold out and then we got another one at plan b and then all those jazz cafe and plan b events just sold out sadly jazz cafe and plan b both went but it was so easy for us to get other venues because like yeah. everyone knew what the brand was so now we can pretty much go anywhere and be like oh we want to do a, some events too and they'll be like yeah <laughs> which is amazing like it's, it's amazing so we're in a great position we've got so many amazing events lined up for oh, i've started to see already on the website July. yeah we've got loads <laughs> lined up like we're doing a lot more kind of afrobeat stuff now as well because obviously people are really into that at the moment and i love i love i love it i love it i love it so yeah, yeah. No, I didn't realise how big it would be at all. I really didn't realise. I think Rock the Bells was Rock the Bells was an intentional thing. So I was like, right, I've got this concept, blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm gonna do. But Super Duper Fly was almost like just kind of just happened. Yeah. And it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. Talking kind of outside of your business, um, there I felt that as I got older, as I kind of got past 27. There wasn't anywhere at the Mm. time, really, that you could go, have a good night, Mm. and more importantly, Mm. be safe, that there wasn't going to be, like, a massive kind of brawl or whatever, or that that, there wasn't really anywhere where there was, like, people that had the same kind of um, feeling as you, like, where you just wanted to go, catch Mm. some jokes and dance Mm. with your friends and... Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it didn't, and then nice people as well. Nice don't get that. People. Don't really get any bad vibes or attitude, and a exactly. really really diverse crowd as well. Like it doesn't matter if you're black, white, gay, straight. Everyone can come, and and that's what I want it to be, and that's what I think it it has become. You know, oh, hundred yeah. percent. You're guaranteed when you go to a super duper fly event. You are guaranteed to come out sweating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh gosh and just have one of those nights that you'll be talking about with your friends you know weeks yeah. later what a great time you had do you know what I'm gutted about though I mean do you know what gutted on the night that I missed I heard mm. that Tom Hardy came to one of your events mm. yeah we get quite a lot of celebrities coming there to ace in the curtain because of the type of venues they are right they're kind of like yes. slightly bougie but kind of cool hipster not too like not full of like West End types. <laughs> and talking of 
celebrities have you know I've read that you hosted and DJed for Kim Kardashian and I DJed for her yeah she was really nice it was at the launch of a hairfinity which is a hair product um it was like god it's about five six years ago now it was me and Nick Grimshaw Uh, that's probably the best gig that I've done actually I have to say um me and Nick Grimshaw incredible venue in um, Mayfair like beautiful crystal chandeliers and Wow. Um, yeah, Kim and I think Kim and Chloe were like the ambassadors for the brand or something. Yeah. So they came over and um, we managed to get like a selfie with them, spoke to them briefly. And they were, yeah, they were cool. They yeah. were cool. We didn't chat yeah. to them for a particularly long time, but they were they were nice. It was before Chloe went all mental and like went really skinny. And it was when okay. she still looked like a normal person. <laughs> now she just looks like all the others, doesn't she? <laughs> If, what would be your dream DJing gig for yourself as you know DJing for Jay-Z and Beyonce um, <laughs> um, it would have to be right like a warm-up for like DJing on the stage for like one of Beyonce's shows that's something like that I dream about it all the time I'm like I've had like actual dreams about it but I just like envision it happening one day I was like oh you know maybe like if I was DJing at a club and like Beyonce was there in a private room and like she said oh this DJ's flat like <laughs> And she came and got her minders up to talk to me. I'd be like, yeah, that, that would probably be the dream gig, man. I could, I like, try and go with someone man. really kind of deep and someone who's kind of changed the world. But, um, no, I think it would be Jay-Z and Beyonce. I think that can absolutely, definitely happen, Emily. Like, with everything, know, with everything that, that you've achieved so far, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, We'll be coming, we'll be doing a 360 and we'll be saying oh, to you, you'll come back on the show and you'll be like, I know, I need remember to when I said... It. I need to focus on my DJing now because I think, you know, since, well, for a year, Mars was a baby mm. and then the pandemic happened. So mm-hmm. it's been a year of like this crap. So now, now we're hopefully touch wood coming out of it. Um, I'm going to really focus on not just the events, but me as a DJ as well. Like, yeah. you know, I need to like, do a photo shoot and really start putting myself out there again. Because when you have a kid, people like, I don't get these huge bookings I don't get these inquiries these huge bookings anymore because I had to turn so many down exactly. and I had to t- give them so many to other people like the amount when I was pregnant because I just I was so tired I didn't want to go out at night and DJ till like <laughs> two o'clock in the morning so I just give the gigs to the girls and then obviously we've had a year of this so and being yeah, a mother was cool. myself out there again mm, it's mm. so it's so difficult I completely yeah. agree with you like it's finding the time it's finding the energy and more importantly something quite significant that you said a minute ago it's putting yourself first for however long now you know with Miles the last two years it hasn't really you know in your head it hasn't been about you it's yeah. and he's like super fun. kind of I almost feel guilty it's interesting actually because I was just listening to Annie Max Changes podcast Jesse Ware and obviously she's a um, mom she's got two kids I think I literally just caught the beginning of it but yeah one of the things she said was guilt and you feel guilty oh. like if I if I'm with him and I have to go on my phone if I'm with him and I have to go on my laptop I feel guilty that I'm not giving that I'm doing that and I'm not giving him attention I feel the same I feel, the same. I feel guilty when I go to work mm. and I have to rely on my support system you know, which I'm lucky that I even have because mm. a lot of people don't have that. So mm. I'm lucky I've got my support mm. system and obviously his dad. Mm. And then I even feel guilty for what for having dreams and goals that don't involve him. Involve him. Mm. Like it's almost like, should I? Am I allowed to ha- to still want to be ambitious when mm. I'm meant mm. to be a mum? Mm. Does that mean 
I'm taking my energy and time away from being a mother because I want to fulfill goals mm. and dreams for myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. What has the pandemic taught you professionally and personally? Personally, I guess it's taught me that I don't have to be busy all the time and that, um, yeah, I can be kind of happy just spending time with my family, which is the most important thing. And it's also taught me, which I didn't say before, that um, I've got into really, I've got into running. So I do two 8Ks a week now. And I've like lost a stone in like the past couple of months as well, because I've just been super, super healthy. Not from the running, that's from actually from diet. I think it's give, it gives you time though to think about these things. Like I didn't lose my baby weight and I was like, I need to lose some weight now. Like I'm getting too big. Not even physically, just for my health. Yeah. So yeah, I've lost like a stone in about six weeks. I want to lose another one now. So I think it's just, that's yeah, amazing. this has given me time to focus on that, which I probably wouldn't have done otherwise, you know? So that's, yeah. that's important. And professionally it's taught me that what we do will always be, be popular, I suppose because people are always going to want to go out. People have a desire to socialize. People need to have, go out and have that release. Um, and luckily they're choosing to do it at our events because yeah. pretty much everything we've announced is sold out already, oh, Not the clubs, but all the, the brunches and stuff have sold out. Um, so yeah, it's kind of taught me that what we do is important. And also we got a grant from the arts council, which was amazing, which we found out about about a week and a half ago. So it kind of gave me, it almost kind of made me feel like, yes, what we do is good. We are significant. We are culturally significant. It's called the Cultural Recovery Fund, and they're giving money to th um, businesses they think are culturally significant. So, yeah, me and Sean did a great application, and we got it. And that's kind of kind of cemented that, yeah, Super Duper Fly is important. It is, it is. Clubs are important. Partying is important. It's not just theatre. It's not just ballet. It's not just opera. It's not just kind of like your highbrow upper middle class thing it's for every like what we do is for everyone and everyone can embrace it it's important that's so awesome mm. so so awesome congratulations thank you babe yeah it was a relief because obviously having a limited company you basically haven't <laughs> been entitled to anything so like my savings got spent yeah um, so yeah it's a relief so we're able to kind of come back and do events and book some great DJs now and not just having to do everything on a total, total budget. And you, like I, I commented on your, on your Instagram when I saw it, it couldn't happen mm. to lots of people. Oh, thanks babe. Like you and Sean work that. and what you do for people and what you've done for the industry. And you know, oh, you're so kind. loves your events. Emily. Everybody <laughs> loves your events and what you do. You two as a partnership, I just think is amazing to watch. I think we make a good team, definitely. We do. I, like Sean is like super chill. He just kind of gets on with everyone, just kind of gets on with it. And I'm not chill, <laughs> but I get things done, <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah he deals with the, the venues on a day-to-day -day basis. If that was me doing that, we would definitely have beef with a lot of venues. <laughs> but Sean's just cool. He's just so chill. He's like, yeah, it's all good. And that works. So you you have uh, Super Duper Fly in Santorini. Is there any is there any other country on your wish list that you would love <sighs> to? I mean, the world's your oyster, right? I mean, the country that you would love to do an event. Josh, we're actually speaking to a venue in Lisbon about doing some stuff there. So it will probably be next year. 
So it'd probably be next September if we do Lisbon. Portugal would be cool, I think, just because it's quite cheap. Um, there are a few venues. There's a, there's another place that I think it's the venue that Afro Nation did their part yet. Um, but yeah, we have another another uh, contact in, in Portugal as well. So that could be a possibility. But the dream would probably be like, I don't know, a beach in Barbados somewhere, <laughs> like a Caribbean island. Richard Branson gave us like Necker Island to take over. That Can you imagine? As you're, as you when you're saying it to me, for me, it's done. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's done. Super duper blight, Necker Island, done. <laughs> Shall I hit, hit, up, hit up Richard? Come on, he's yeah. on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine. Oh, the dream. Absolute dream. Yeah. Lisbon, like, one of my favorite places. Oh, is it? Love. I've been there twice. I really like it, but I wouldn't say I love it. Like I'm much more kind of like, I think because I'm I've got this like little kind of bougie side to me. Yeah, and this one doesn't have that, does it? It doesn't really have. I'd say there's a side to me that is, and it doesn't satisfy that. And I love. I think that that's why I agree. I love Paris and I love New York because it, yeah. it's got everything London has. You know, it's got the kind of really down to earth places. It's got it's got that mix. And but then it's got if you want to like you know go to a really kind of bougie restaurant or cocktail bar, then you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Emily, before you go, mm. I wanted to ask you: When did things get a bit messy for you, and how did you pivot, make new choices that affected your life and career for the better? In, in life, in general, um, yeah, it was. There were probably two stages actually. Uh, one was when I was eighteen. Um, I was DJing loads, um, not so much in clubs, but like more of a bedroom DJ, but I was like really, really great at it. Um, not blowing my own trumpet or anything. Um, I was doing my A-levels. I'd already messed up my GCSE, so I had to resit those, managed to resit those, got into a college doing my A-levels. Um, and um, I was smoking loads of weed at the time. Um, and one night I had this horrendous panic attack. And um I was like, what is this? Like, I thought someone had like laced my drink or something. And I, it was just, but it was basically my body saying, you need to fix up because I wasn't doing any work at college. Um, I probably would have failed my A-levels. I probably wouldn't have ended up going to uni. So yeah, it was, it was my body saying, you need to fix up. From that day, literally, I have not smoked or touched drugs then, like not once since I was 18. So um, yeah, that was one point. And after that, I started DJing in clubs. I had met a boy who had a boyfriend who was re- like looking back on it now. No, <laughs> but he was a nice guy. Like he yeah. wasn't a twat. Do you know what I mean? He treated me reasonably well after going out with some idiot. Yeah, then I managed to get into a good uni. You know, I got into Sussex. I scraped it. I got three C's, but they liked my um, my application and like they liked that I was kind of into music. And so, um, yeah, I managed to get in. Then I did really well in my degree, ended up getting like a two one in sociology, worked really hard in the last year. So that that period, definitely. Um, and then I was in a relationship with someone from being like 25 to 29. And I got to like 29 and it just started to feel wrong. Like he was like a bit of a control freak he was a nice person but yeah it just it, was, it wasn't right anyway I started to get like horrendous insomnia I was like what is going on and that was my body's way of saying this isn't right mm. so um I went through on and off through that for like yeah ended up going to like therapy like what is going on with me like why 
why am I feeling like this? What's going on? Like This was when I'd already started Super Duper Fly and Rock the Bells and they were thriving. They were doing really, really great. So I was like, okay, so I've started my business. That's going really great. What's going wrong here? Mm. And it was obviously personal life. <laughs> that was what was going wrong. So eventually I broke up with him in January 2012. Yeah. And then life started to get like things started to get better kind of the end of 2011. And then, um, yeah, January 2012, I broke up with him. Then I was single for a year. And um, then I met my husband in like mm. February 2013. Yeah, and the rest is history, really. <laughs> I love the way how your face just, as soon as you, as soon as you said your husband, yeah. your face just completely changed. Like, oh. just, lit up, just naturally just kind of lit up. He's a lovely man. And how He's did you two meet? He was taking photos at a friend's film screening. My friend did a screening and she made a documentary about um, Jay Diller. Mm-hmm. It was at Hackney Picture House and Ian was taking photographs. So he was like, we, I was leaving the event. I was on my way to Super Duper Flight Plan B actually. Mm-hmm. And um, I was leaving the event. Ian was standing at the bottom of the stairs and he just kind of, we just kind of smiled at each other. And I was like, instantly drawn to him because he's got, as you know, he's got the most beautiful yes. smile ever. Like literally the best smile in the world. Um, which Miles has inherited, by the way, <laughs> um, with the dimples. <laughs> and yeah, I was just, I just kind of felt like an instant, it was almost like I met him before, it was like an instant kind of connection. And I was like, I recognise you. And whether or not I had seen him before, I don't know. We'd worked out that we have been to some of the same events, gave him my card. And then, yeah, we started talking on Facebook and he was just really nice. Like, it just kind of, yeah, just was really polite and lovely and interesting and and um, then we met up, I think, the following Saturday. And um, it was funny, actually, because um, I don't know if you can hear me or not. I think he's in the kitchen. <laughs> I thought he was taking me to, like, a really posh restaurant because he, he said to meet in um, at Bond Street Station. So I was like, oh, we're going to Mayfair, bougie, <laughs> the day before. Because obviously I lived in, like, Air Force – I lived in, like, um, Air Max Ones at the time. Yeah, yeah. 2013, it was Air Max Ones. Um, so I don't think I even had any shoes. So I was like, oh, maybe I better go, go shopping. So the day before I went shopping, I bought some like nice little pointy shoes, some new like kind of smart jeans, some nice little tops. So I turned up for my date wearing my pointy shoes and my like smart jeans and my like fur coat. And um, Ian took me to Patty and Bun. Brilliant. <laughs> so there was definitely no need for the, for the posh clothes. <laughs> But I love that, though. I kind of prefer I that. I love that. Yeah, so we went to Patty and Bun and then just, like, yeah, had a really drunk, wild night in Soho. <laughs> the rest is history. The rest is history. And you have the most gorgeous, beautiful little boy. As do you. As do you. Connor is just thank a you. dream. But, yeah, they're, they're just they're pretty amazing, aren't they? Emily, thank you so much for coming on your journey. You know what? Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. It's so inspiring. And as I said at the very beginning, the more I was reading, I was just like, this woman. (laughs) And because the thing is, Emily, you never really, like whenever I speak to you or I see you at an event, you don't ever shout about it. Yes. So it's like, as I was reading more about you, I was like, You've achieved so much. Thank you, Serena. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I don't shout about it. And I think in a way that's probably to my detriment. And I'd say DJ Nikki's the same, actually, because she's, I'd say we're very similar. Um, I mean, she's even, she achieved even more than I have, to be honest, but she's older. So she's, you know, had more years to do it. <laughs> um, 
And she was like, we were talking about it. And she was like, yeah, you know, we've done more than all these guys, Emily. Like, we need to shout about it more. And I was like, well, you should. You should shout about it. And I think she has started shouting about it now. She started talking about DJing for Beyonce and Jay-Z at Quincy Jones's Grammy after party. Wow. And I'm like, wow, yeah, you're you're sick. And I'm gonna I'm gonna send this actually for her to listen to. But yeah, I should talk about it more actually. And it's so funny because you know, obviously the way social media is, people hype themselves up. They're this, yeah. they're that, and they've actually achieved nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm an influencer, and this, and that, and it's just like it literally it makes me laugh so much. I suppose the other way of looking at it is looking at it is is the fact that you're you're too busy to shout about it because you're actually you know you've got doing it. Down, you're doing it. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. It, right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was, the thing is, I could be a lot better with my like my personal Instagram. I could be a lot better with it. But honestly, I'm not. I'm just not that into it. Yeah. Like you know, I could do my stories every day and you know really kind of build up my followers. Obviously, I've got a reasonable amount of followers, but considering what I've achieved, a lot of other women would have a lot more. You know, but I think because it's more about my brands, exactly. people tend to follow that maybe more than me as an individual. You're too busy new, yeah. This new um, pushing myself out there again, that could all change. You may see me doing stories, walking down the street to the corner shop. Now. <laughs> I'm here. I'm yeah. Here. I'm just walking down the street today. Oh, yeah. Do you like my trainers? Oh, so dry. Not interested. <laughs> so, Emily, people listening to this are, you know, they're ready now to, to kind of come out of lockdown and want mm. to go to one of your events. So yeah. am I directing everybody to www.superduperflylove.com? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And Instagram, mm-hmm. superduperflylove, at mm-hmm. superduperflysantorini, and at Fly Kids Party. That's the one. Great chat with Emily, and I'm really looking forward to going to the next Super Duper Fly event. Now, if you have a small business and unsure how to grow your social media following or create engaging content, join me in a couple of weeks as I chat to Pamela Miller, founder of Content Clarity. We discuss her messy journey from being made redundant at six months pregnant to running a successful marketing company.